Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and I'm here today with Dr. Junko Takeshita, a dermatologist in clinical practice at Penn Dermatology at the Perlman Center for Advanced Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Dr. Takeshita specializes in the treatment of inflammatory diseases such as psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Additionally, Dr. Takeshita is an assistant professor of dermatology and epidemiology at the University of Pennsylvania Perlman School of Medicine. Dr. Takeshka has received research grants from the National Psoriasis Foundation to study health risks associated with psoriasis, and she is the recipient of an NIH grant to study psoriasis treatment disparities. We're here today to talk with Dr. Takeshita about circumstances related to switching treatment and, if needed, how to have that conversation with your healthcare provider. Welcome, Dr. Takeshita. Thank you for joining SoundBites today. According to the most recent annual survey conducted by the National Psoriasis Foundation, preliminary data indicates that 40% of people living with psoriasis and 42% of those living with psoriatic arthritis are dissatisfied with their treatment. As you know from experience, it can be really frustrating for anyone with psoriasis and or psoriatic arthritis to be on treatments that are not achieving the desired effect he or she expects. What signs or factors typically indicate the need to change treatment? Treatment dissatisfaction is certainly an important problem, and timely and appropriate treatment switching can certainly be one solution to improving treatment dissatisfaction amongst our patients. One issue I would say I come across commonly is inadequate response to treatment, and that is one major factor that goes into making a treatment switch. And I would say this is particularly apropos for the biologic therapies. Um, For example, it's not uncommon for patients to have an initial good response to the biologics and over the years develop a tolerance to the medications and then lose response over time. So that is a common scenario that I encounter with my patients, whether it's uh, losing response skin-wise or joint-wise to their therapies that induces a treatment switch discussion. Some other factors that certainly come into play are if patients are having side effects to their medications, Um, for example, if they develop frequent infections on immune-suppressive therapies so that we have to stop them in favor of other therapies that don't suppress the immune system. And then other indications for treatment switching is when a patient develops a new medical condition or, for example, a woman of childbearing age decides to become pregnant uh, and they might be on a biologic. So often in that sort of a specific scenario, we will talk about other treatment options as as most patients who uh, become pregnant do not want to stay on systemic therapies. So those are some common reasons to discuss treatment switching. Yeah, that makes sense. Is cost a factor? Cost is unfortunately sometimes a factor. I will say that in my practice, um, I'm very lucky in that I work very closely with a specialty pharmacist who helps us specifically with access to biologics in particular, as they they are often costly and, and can be difficult to access for patients. 
I would say that cost comes into play most commonly when patients are enrolling into Medicare and depending on the Medicare benefits that they get, sometimes the out-of-pocket costs can really be exorbitant and prohibitive to treatment. Um, even though a patient has been on a particular treatment for a while uh, and then their insurance plan changes. So I will say that that's probably the most challenging situation that I usually run into. Um, and in particular, many Medicare patients also don't qualify for patient assistance programs. Uh, and so I think that's when cost really plays a big role in accessing treatments and treatment switching, unfortunately. Yeah, and then keeping in mind that it takes time for treatments to work, can you please speak to what is a reasonable amount of time to remain on a treatment before considering changing? So this really depends on what treatment a patient is on. For the biologics, for example, these are generally quick-acting medications. So uh, for the most part, I will recommend a follow-up at, say, three months. Um, for some of the quicker-acting biologics, maybe two months to see what the response is. I should say Three months is usually when I expect a maximal sort of response. On some occasions, I will go up to four months with the biologics in particular. Uh, for oral systemics, those usually take a longer time to take effect. And so for patients going on oral systemic medications, I will often set the expectation of about three or four months of therapy. Also with the oral systemics, we have a little bit more leeway with regards to dosing. And so sometimes when patients don't have an adequate response at three or four months, we can also talk about increasing dosing, which um, then, you know, gives us another time point later on to assess response to therapy. Great. So when you're looking at the time uh, treatment should be working, do you, does severity take place or in that decision? Um, you know, that's a good question. I would say that severity plays less of a role for me. When I assess a patient's response on therapy, I, I both look at kind of how much or how severe their psoriasis is at that single time point, but I also take into account how much they've improved. Even if a patient starts very severe and they've had 90% improvement, but they're still not clear, I still consider that a win to some respects. Um, But in that particular sort of situation, that's somebody that I might keep on a particular medication for a little bit longer than the three months uh, kind of rule that I gave earlier. My husband has a disease and he has it pretty severe. And I remember when he first started, it started working like from the top down. And so, and I've seen that from other patients that have asked like, well, it's, it's working on the top part of my body, but not quite on the bottom yet. Yeah, that's actually a very typical scenario. The legs and the feet are really the slowest to respond. Oh, good to know. Um, glad it wasn't just some weird anecdotal thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's very common. Yeah. So if a treatment no longer works, should someone just stop taking it? I generally recommend that patients keep their medical provider in the know um, with regards to what they're doing. And so open communication is really key to medical management in general, not just for psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. And so I do not recommend that patients just stop their therapies, even if they're not working, without letting their medical provider know. Even in situations of side effects, I, you know, I recommend patients call their doctors and let them know what's going on. So e- even in a scenario when a patient thinks that a treatment is not working, 
when the absence of them actually getting worse, uh, you know, for example, you can imagine that sometimes treatments are working to some extent, maybe not to the extent that a patient or I would like, so that going completely off treatment may actually result in the psoriasis worsening. Um, and so sometimes even if a treatment is not working that great, staying on it until you have the next plan for the next treatment might still be beneficial for patients. So overall, what are the goals of treatment and how important is it to meet those goals? Yeah, so that's a great question. Treatment goals are really important. And certainly we've seen with the rise of the treat-to-target approach, the introduction of more discussion about treatment goals between patients and providers. With regards to treatment goals, I think that really varies from patient to patient, from the provider end or the dermatologist end. I think most of us like to get our patients as clear as possible or from a joint perspective as as symptom-free as possible or pain-free as possible. And I think a lot of us guess sometimes that that's what our patients want as well. And I think that aligns a lot of times, but not necessarily all the time. There are certainly some patients who have very severe skin disease, for example, um, who are not that bothered by their skin disease for one reason or another and are not willing to put themselves um, at risk for taking systemic medications. So in, in that situation, I just have an open discussion with patients and talk about the treatment options, risks and benefits, and also talk about what we've learned over the last 10 years or so um, with regards to systemic inflammation or sort of full body inflammation, inflammation that, that's happening inside your body and not just on the skin, that we think may also play a role in developing other comorbid diseases such as cardiovascular disease. So I make sure to have that conversation with my patients so that they know kind of what's going on on their, on their skin, but also inside their body. With regards to whether or not actually treating the psoriasis improves those comorbidities, such as cardiovascular disease, that remains to be seen. And that's certainly a question of great interest. So I don't necessarily have a conversation that, you know, treating your skin disease is going to also improve your cardiovascular disease at this point. Um, but hopefully we'll ha- have answers to that important question in the future. It's a different scenario when we're talking about joint disease, when we're talking about psoriatic arthritis. So we know that untreated psoriatic arthritis can result in permanent joint damage. So patients who have active psoriatic arthritis and are still reluctant to go on any sort of therapy for their psoriatic arthritis, I do try to encourage a little bit more strongly those sort of patients to go on some sort of therapy because we certainly want to avoid permanent joint destruction. So should everyone speak with their provider about setting a treatment goal and how to get there, even if it means changing treatments? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we're trying to encourage these days is to have that discussion with patients about what their goals are and what is a reasonable goal to achieve. And again, referring back to the Treat to Target initiative, I mean, that's really very much what that sort of initiative is centered on, is having an open discussion between patients and providers of what treatment goals should be and how we're going to reach those treatment goals. And in fact, the National Psoriasis Foundation Medical Board recently came out with recommendations for a Treat to Target approach for psoriasis suggesting that a treatment goal should be body surface area of 1%, which is a patient's one hand. Um, So based on expert opinion, that has been suggested to be a a treatment goal across the board for patients with psoriasis. That's great. So it sounds like it's pretty reasonable to expect to be clear and live a life free of pain. So I wish I could say that the answer to that is yes. We certainly have 
a whole number of treatment options that are really good for psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis now. And we're really lucky to have so many treatment options in this day and age. Unfortunately, we're still not at a point where we can tell patients, you know, this medication is like 90% likely to get you completely clear. The conversation that I have with my patients is generally you know, our medication options are very likely to get you clear or almost clear, and that's a very reasonable goal. Um, But unfortunately, yeah, with the current treatments that we have as of today, we still can't get the majority of people 100% clear. We're probably about, with our best treatments, maybe about 50%. And what would you consider the patient's role to be when treatment changes occur? Does this include the team approach or shared decision-making? Yeah, I mean, I think shared decision making should be ongoing throughout uh, a care management plan or throughout the conversation between a patient provider, regardless of what's going on. I rely on my patients to tell me if they are unhappy with their treatments. So I certainly welcome my patients to tell me, hey, I think it's time for a switch. Um, You know, one of the first questions I ask when I talk to my patients is, how is your skin doing? And that sort of opens up the conversation of, yeah, I'm doing great. You know, let's stay on this. Or "Ah, I'm not doing so well in the last few months or since the last time you saw me. And, you know, what are other treatment options? Um, So in part, I rely on my patients to sort of initiate that conversation. Of course, as as a part of the medical visit, I also assess my patient's skin and how much psoriasis they have and are there medical conditions going on and how they're tolerating treatment. And I will also initiate that discussion, even if a patient doesn't bring it up, if it looks like to me from an, an objective standpoint that the skin isn't doing well. And is it helpful for someone with psoriatic disease to understand the risks and benefits of treatment? Absolutely. I think it's critically necessary for patients to understand the risks and benefits of treatments because they're ultimately the ones who are taking the treatments and putting themselves at risk of whatever treatment they go on and are also reaping hopefully the benefits of um, that particular treatment. So I personally have a very thorough discussion, especially in the beginning when patients are starting a new class of treatments about the potential risk and benefits I give them a a written handout so that they can take it home and read because I I throw a lot of information at them at the visit, so I imagine they may not absorb everything at once. And then I offer them the opportunity to ask questions either at the visit or to call us later if they have any questions um, before going on or switching therapies. As an example, where I think it's really important for biologic therapies, for example, we know that they suppress patients' immune system, puts them at higher risk of infections. So I have this discussion with patients. I rely on them that if they're at home and they develop an infection, they have to go on an antibiotic that their primary care provider gives to them. I rely on them to know um, and remember our conversation that, hey, if you develop an infection, if you have fevers, you might want to hold off on your biologic therapy. And certainly if you have any questions about whether you should go forward or not with your injections, please call us. And so in that particular example, it's really important for patients to be aware of what they should be looking out for and when they need to call us when they should think about holding therapy. And under what circumstances would seeking a second opinion be appropriate? And if needed, how can someone find the right dermatologist? In my opinion, patients have the prerogative to seek a second opinion whenever they feel like it's appropriate. I think some particular scenarios where it might be really helpful, for example, when a patient and provider are unable to come to mutual agreement on what the next course of treatment should be, 
or, for example, in either medically or socially complex situations where it's unclear, you know, what the best path is. Like, for example, there could be multiple paths. Both parties are having trouble coming to a decision. It's nice to have a third party weigh in and give another opinion. And certainly, again, I think if patients are ever feeling uncomfortable or are unhappy with their care with their particular dermatologist or their medical provider, again, I I think they should feel free to seek a second opinion. In terms of resources for where to find a dermatologist, I think the National Psoriasis Foundation has a number of great resources for this. For example, the um, physician directory for dermatologists who are particularly interested in seeing psoriasis patients. And then the patient navigation center where patients can call and talk to NPF staff and kind of get answers to any questions that they have in addition to seeking another dermatologist or getting another opinion. Perfect. Great. Yeah, those are all great choices. So in closing, what final message would you like to give to our listeners about treatment changes? I think treatment changes or treatment switching can be an anxiety-provoking time for patients sometimes um, because it's often in a scenario where patients' skin or joints are not responding well potentially or they're having side effects and their future treatment may be uncertain. But, you know, I want patients to be reassured that with open communication with their medical provider, with their dermatologist or rheumatologist, as well as good communication with a a pharmacist, if they have access to one on the medical team, can really uh, streamline treatment switching. And there can be really great outcomes and improved outcomes, potentially, if you're not having a good treatment response or having side effect with your current treatment when you switch treatments. So I'd like to provide some reassurance that treatment switching can be a good thing when done appropriately and done well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today about treatment changes. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.